This is ContraZoom, a live in limbo production. This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault, and today we have a special little episode where I get a chance to talk with Mitchell Cushman, who is the director of the new play Jerusalem, which stars Kim Coates. Uh, this play is now uh, on playing at the Crow's Nest Theater out in the East End. I had a chance to see it in my review. will be coming shortly as well. And it's a really fantastic play with some really great performances, especially from, from the lead actor Kim Coates who is uh, most recognizably known for playing Tig on Sons of Anarchy. Um, but I got a chance to sit down with, with Mitchell, who I have interviewed before and talked with him, and he's always has such insightful, intelligent things to say about theater and art and, and creating some really unique pieces of entertainment. And I think this show is no different. So I hope you enjoy my talk with Mitchell. And in those feet in ancient time, walk upon England's mountains green, and was the Talking with Mitchell Cushman, the director and co-producer of the new show Jerusalem. Uh, you're producing it with your company Outside the March. Thank you for talking to me today. Happy to be here. How are you doing? Great. Yeah, it's uh, it's an exciting and busy time as we try to yeah take the final steps with this uh, pretty ginormous production. Yeah. Uh, now your company Outside the March specializes in site-specific theater. What was it about? Crow's Nest Theater, where you're doing this production, that appealed to you? Well, we, we really think of ourselves as a, an immersive company, and uh, that means that we really always want to be able to bring the audience inside the world of the show. Um, often that has meant that we've we've worked out of non-traditional theater venues, um, kindergarten classrooms. We did a show recently in a funeral home, old movie theaters. Uh, we've kind of been everywhere. Uh, but ultimately, it just begins with the play, and we look at the needs of the play and the world that we want to create. And for this piece, we knew that we wanted to bring the audience inside of the world of this English forest. And also because language is such a large, amazing part of this play, it has um, an epic scope of language you'd normally see in a classical piece, except it's, it's completely contemporary. And so I knew I also wanted it to be somewhere where we could create a stillness that you'd be able to hear a pin drop. And they've done such a beautiful job designing this new Crow's Theater space. It's fully transformable and uh, really high grid height. So we have been able to create these these very tall trees and canopy of leaves that sit over the audience. And I think it does really feel like you're walking into Rooster's Magical Forest. Yeah, I noticed that on the website, there's going to be a section every night available for people to sit up front. That's right. How is that going to work? Are they kind of built into the set then? Are they there to listen to Rooster preach, basically? Well, so the audience is a, it's a thrust configuration. So the audience is on three sides. And the front row on all three sides are these non-traditional seats, old couches, dilapidated 
armchairs and lawn chairs and some old car seats and it all looks like the set, which is, is created out of a bunch of salvage furniture. So mm-hmm. we've been selling them as our roosters, rats, squat seating. <laughs> uh, and they're, yeah, they're specifically for arts workers and, and people under 30 at a reduced ticket price. Uh, and yeah, well, there you should feel like you're sitting around a campfire listening to rooster stories. Certainly, I think that was the experience people had last night. Are you hoping for a certain amount of, not necessarily audience participation, but a certain involvement where there's a real connection between the performers on stage and the people that are sitting that close? I, mean, I think that's the buy-in that you're always looking for, and certainly that we're always looking for with our work. Um, the play itself and most of our work doesn't tend to involve anything I'd call audience participation, but we are looking to bring the audience deeply into the world of the show. And one of the ways we're doing that on this production is that on a normal evening, the show begins at 7.30, but we're inviting people to join us at the theater anytime after 7 to take part in a forest rave party. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that Rooster is famous for is his <clears throat> is his debaucherous uh, yeah, kind of bacchanalian parties that go late into the night. And, and this whole play kind of exists as a hangover from a party the night before. So we thought it would be uh, an interesting, immersive idea to stage that. And so anyone who gets here between 7 and 7.30 can take part in the party. We have a bar embedded into the set that's built out of the <laughs> trunk uh, or the, the front of an, an old Land Rover. Uh, we've got a br- British bartender who will be serving drinks in it. It's the same bar that the cast uses part of the show. So you're hmm. really drinking out of Rooster's stash. Wow, that's pretty interesting. I think kind of a interesting aspect of you know working out of crow's nest theater is the fact that it's a condo this theater is built into it there's a restaurant there's a bar and there is an aspect to the play where you have government officials that are trying to kick rooster off his land was that something that sort of appealed to you or is it just kind of a happy coincidence i've been wondering when if and when someone was going to ask me that you're the first person to ask me i mean primarily uh, we came to Crows because we're excited about their new venue and because they've been longtime supporters of the company. Um, I actually worked for Crows as the associate artistic director for a year uh, while they were really in the final thrusts of getting the plans together for this building. And I worked with them doing a lot of site-specific programming, helping to build more of a East End theater-going audience space. So our productions of Passion Play in 2013 and Mr. Burns in 2015 were both done in association with Crows, different site-specific locations around the East End. And so Really, we were excited about doing something unique in, in their new space. Um, I I feel like some, something I wrote about in my director's note is one of the things that I really connect with in this play is a sense of what what is lost in the name of quote-unquote progress. And I think we can see that a lot in our city where we have... Um, you know, as we're all seeing with Honest Ed's, for instance, like really historic Toronto landmarks being torn down. And I think there's a fear that whatever gets put up, the city may just start to look more and more the same. And and so I do worry about our city losing its character. There's more cranes in the air in Toronto than in any major city in North America. And so we can all really feel the impact of that. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think that Streetcar Crow's Nest is a, is a specific example of that. I actually think it's really exciting when development and artistic initiatives can be integrated, like the building that we're doing the show in, but that's not always the case. Sometimes mm-hmm. it is. Sometimes these new buildings go up without much of a consideration for the neighborhood or for how it can engage with the arts and culture community. It seems like now anytime a new building is built and the main floor is business development spaces, it's usually something like a Rexall, a shop, or a Starbucks. <clears throat> how many more you know, of those right. things you need where this really seems to incorporate a different aspect of that? One of the things I love about the programming Crows has done so far in this space is it really is community-oriented. And so it, it, I think they built this building with a full awareness that 
there's never been a theater in uh, east of the DVP in the city. So they they have the job of actually introducing this whole new art form to this part of the city, and I think that they're taking on that challenge really seriously. That's good to hear. Um, now, I think something that's really interesting is that this is the, the Canadian premiere of Jerusalem. Uh, do you feel any sort of extra added weight to this about putting your own spin on your own take, or is this just you know approaching it as any other directorial job? Well, it's a big part of our mandate to make sure that we're introducing our audience base to uh, work that is new that they wouldn't have discovered before. And often that's also thinking about how we can get people who don't normally come out to the theater to come come see our work. We tend to use the word experience as opposed to play because I think that maybe more fully encapsulates what we're trying to do. Um, so most almost all the work that our companies produce has either been completely originally created or, or a Canadian premiere of, of a piece because I think we really see it as our job to yeah, bring be bringing new stuff to people, stuff that they couldn't see anywhere else and haven't seen anywhere else. And this piece, because it's so large, even though it's one of the most heralded pieces of theater writing of the last 25 years, um, no one has done this play in Canada yet. And it's actually rarely been done outside of its original production. And that's because of its massive scope. And I think our company, along with Company Theater, have both we've both kind of carved out niches for taking on these projects. Uh, maybe we're just the ones, you know, crazy enough crazy enough to want to do it uh and it certainly took a couple of years of planning to figure out how to bring something like this together um it's definitely a special piece uh i think in terms of it being the canadian premiere i'm i'm off to, i'm always just thinking about if i'm going to direct something if our company's going to produce something i want to make sure we can bring something new to the conversation mm-hmm. with this being the the canadian premiere was this a show that you had you and your group had sought out to try to get, or was it something that you heard about they were looking to maybe put it in Canada and you kind of start following that avenue? Like, can you describe a bit of the process of acquiring the rights? So I've wanted to direct this play since I first read it seven years ago Mm -hmm. when I worked at theater books. Uh, I worked at theater books for a year, which was fantastic because I got to sort of read, read lots of plays and meet some people in the community. And I vividly remember, I read about this in my director's note too, actually about vividly remember the first time I saw this play on a shelf. I was so struck by what, the, the cover uh, depiction of Rooster Byron and just standing there transfixed behind the counter for three hours reading it. So it's been a long time dream of mine to put on the show. Uh, in 2013, I directed a reading of it for the Shaw Festival. Okay. And at that time, started thinking more seriously about directing it with Outside the March. Um, and there was a period of time where the rights weren't available because I think for a while they were thinking about making it into a movie. Hmm. Uh, and then in 2015, when we were doing Mr. Burns in this neighborhood, started to think about you know what what might be some large endeavors in the future uh we we investigated again about the rights and then they were available and so we we made a case that we based on our track record of doing the canadian premieres of pieces like passion play and mr burns uh terminus that we would be the right company to premiere it in canada and after some back and forth the 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 rights were granted for us to do the canadian premiere uh, and then we actually had to extend that warranty a couple times because we knew we weren't going to do the show until we found the right space and and first and foremost found the right actor to take on this lead role. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the idea of Kim taking on this part was so exciting. He's a very busy guy. Uh, so even when he, yeah, he got in touch with us and we had a couple meetings and he got excited about doing the, the piece, it, it took it took a, some careful thinking to think when we could fit that into his schedule. But mm-hmm. Kim's been remarkable. He's really cleared, like, the last three or four months of his life 
uh, exclusively to focus on prepping for this role. He's gone to Pusey, the town in the UK where the play is based on, three times on his own to go wow. meet with the residents and some of the characters that some of the people the characters are based on. So can't imagine an actor doing more prep work or being more dedicated to production uh, than Kim. It's, it's pretty remarkable. So it does feel like all the elements are coming together at the right time to make this happen. Well, that's a good transition because I want to talk briefly about Kim Coates, who sure. stars in this production. Uh, you know, often when something is remade, the audience can kind of go in with a bit of a history of what it's supposed to look like, the image in their mind. But with a play that's never been produced in Canada before, you have to assume that almost no one will have seen it before. Uh, does that sort of give Kim a bit of freedom to really do what he wants? Because this play was performed very famously by Mark Rylance, who now, in the last couple of years, has sort of risen to be you know, the go-to theater film actor that I think is really being appreciated worldwide. Mm. And Kim gets to now tackle this on his own. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's been interesting about Mark Rylance's trajectory is that, I mean, he's been a, a well-known British stage actor for a couple decades, but it really was doing this show, this mm. part in this show, that helps skyrocket his fame I think it, it led to him being knighted as well as some of the movie opportunities now that he, he won an Oscar for a couple of years ago. So uh, he's Mark Rounds is embedded into the DNA of this character in a way because it was actually Jez Butterworth developed it with Mark. So Mark Rounds says, yeah, it's hard to remove him completely out of the equation. By the same token, though, Kim and Mark Rounds are such different kinds of performers. And Rounds is very much a chameleon, and one of the things that's really fascinating about watching him is he's as far away from the character in this play as possible. He mostly plays these buttoned-down, understated, mild-mannered characters and roosters on the other extreme. I'd say the character of Rooster lives more authentically, in a way, inside of who Kim is the rest of the time. Uh, not all of the aspects of the character, but certainly in terms of uh, being being the gregarious center of attention, being able to hold your attention with the stories that he tells, having that lifeblood coursing through him. The first time I met him a couple years ago now, like I knew that he, I knew that he had rooster inside of him. And it's been such a, such a rewarding privilege to work with Kim to help him excavate that and help him get, you know, his stage sea legs back. Uh, because it's been almost 30 years since he's been on stage, but before he went to film and TV, he had done dozens of plays, and, and so that does live inside of him. And he now, when you see him up there in front of an audience, we had our first live audience last night. He really does feel like a natural in the mm -hmm. form. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not worried about people comparing him to Mark Rylance, those people who saw the show, because I think he's very much doing his own thing with it. And, and a couple of the ladies sitting next to me last night said, "I can't believe someone else played this part originally," because it just seemed <laughs> I can't imagine anyone else but Kim playing it. And I think that's you know when there's that really strong fit between actor and character it, it can fuse together in your mind from from what i know i haven't been able to to read or see this production myself before but from what i know about kim and his other performances i think it's a, a very natural fitting for that than what i do think of mark rylance usually sure. too which i think is pretty interesting to see it might be a really good marriage of, of actor and character in that part and don't get me wrong like i i'm i, I watched an archival of the original production i'm i'm Mark Rylance was transcendent in it and, uh, <laughs> and also miraculous, but it's it's that kind of role where it allows someone to fill it with their own with their own energy. It's a real gift of a part that you know they exist in Shakespeare. Uh, they they don't exist as much in contemporary theater. These hugely expansive pieces where, where the where you see every shade of someone's humanity, and it really is it really is that kind of role. 
Now, the play is sort of based on the poem which got turned into a hymn by William Blake of the same name, Jerusalem. And doing a bit of an analysis of the poem, it seems like there could be several different interpretations of it. You know, is it uh, anti-nationalistic, anti-religious, anti-industrialist, or is it just sort of like an ode to nature? Is there sort of a conflict going on between maybe the way Rooster would portray that text versus what Jez Butterworth, the playwright, is trying to say with the play? I'm always hesitant to answer questions like that because I think if the player does his job well and if we do our job well, hopefully it's a work that is open to interpretation. I, mm-hmm. I hope our production is is as equal to as open to interpretation as the William Blake hymn is. Um, certainly, I don't think it's accidental that it takes its inspiration from that poem and those themes of conflict between nationalism and globalization and um, history and progress run through every every part of the play. And I think. It's a little bit of a Rorschach drawing. Like I think people will take from it what uh, everyone will see it with their own lens. But I think it asks important, difficult questions that are only more relevant now in the age of Brexit and Trump than they were when this play was written ten years ago. Mm-hmm. So you say it's even more relevant now then? Absolutely, and we've made the decision to change some tiny references in the script to sort of update it so that it really is taking place in 2017. Okay. That's very interesting to hear. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking no time problem. out thank of you. rehearsals it's to speak with me. Yeah. Uh, the show opens, uh, is open now by the time this is up and runs until March 10th. You can visit crowsnestheater.com for more information. Thanks so much. Thank you. Once again, I want to give a very special thank you to Mitchell Cushman for taking the time out of his very busy schedule to talk with me. Uh, I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoy it. Make sure you check out liveandlimbo.com for the show notes where there will be links to where you can buy tickets and more information about the play. Oh.